Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Support for this podcast is provided by Subtruck Law. Revolution Recap thanks Subtruck Law for their support of our show, local independent media, and their mission of bringing unbiased truth. Revolution Recap would also like to thank Six Point Builders for their support. Six Point Builders are builders of fine, custom homes in the Boston metropolitan area. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revs dropped their first MLS game in nearly two months on Saturday night with a 2-1 loss to Inter-Miami. I know this might be hard to believe, but it was a game overshadowed by some questionable refereeing, which included VAR taking away a wonderful goal from Noel Buck and a yellow card being given to the wrong player. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today from Pro Soccer is Caleb Pongratz. Caleb, how are you? Doing good. I actually just got back from Miami from the trip. Oh well, Fort Lauderdale. Um, but it was a it was a good area, good uh, overall experience, and just an unfortunate result overall for uh, for the game. Yes, not the road trip the Revs wanted to take. I know they are in the midst of a road trip. I know they had the U.S. Open Cup game last week, but uh, they're in a. a in a three-game road trip right now with TFC Miami and Philadelphia, and those all three of those teams aren't exactly pushovers. I know Miami had some struggles there for a little bit, but uh, they've seemed to have found their form, and it seemed like it was kind of inevitable that the Revs were going to hit a stumbling block, and um, they certainly hit one this weekend, unfortunately. So um, also wanted to just apologize to our listeners for being late. I tweeted out that this was going to be coming out on Sunday. Uh, we had some kind of – I had a personal issue that I had to kind of take care of yesterday, but we are back. We are in the saddle here on Monday, so apologize for this being one day late. Uh, we also do have one other quick PSA before we start. Um, we have a, I was talking to a listener, James, who wanted me to let everyone know that this week is NF Awareness Month. And actually, I have a little ad read here. I guess it's not an ad read, but a little read. You get to hear my radio voice. <clears throat> May is Neurofibromatosis Awareness Month. Never heard of it? Neither had I. But it's a disorder that affects approximately one in every 3,000 people worldwide. It affects population equally. NF is a disorder that causes tumors to grow on nerves throughout the body, causing problems like blindness, deafness, bone abnormalities, disfigurement, learning disabilities, disabling pain, and even cancer. It's hard to say, much harder to live with. There is no cure, but there is hope. For more information, visit the Children's Tumor Foundation at www.ctf.org. That is www.ctf.org. And that will be in the show notes. So please go check that out uh, in honor of NF Awareness Month. And also I've been told uh, that you can wear blue and green to show your support. Caleb, rate my radio voice. It was perfect. It sounded great. It was pretty fluid. 10 out of 10. I got I to gotta say, mispronouncing the word, uh, I, I practiced it a couple times and um, still not going to be able to get it on the first try. But I think that just goes to show how hard it is to pronounce. It's one of those. Caleb, let's get to this game. Uh, what are your, what's your key takeaway? And our key takeaways are brought to you by the rebellion. Go to anyrebellion.org to learn more about them and their organization. Uh, Caleb, what's your takeaway from today? Um, well, definitely looking back at this match, uh, obviously being there and being in the moment, watching this game, uh, the refereeing across the board was atrocious. It was terrible. Um, Izmir Pekmich, the the center official, 
lost the game so early on, and it so it's, his decisions were just abysmal. I mean, starting with Buck's goal getting taken away, and then also having a uh, misidentification on the double yellow to Ruiz. Ruiz got three yellow cards in that game, and it was in the stands. Even Inter-Miami fans around us were like, how is he still on the field? Um, and I think overall it was just, like, not controlled whatsoever. I think there were shaky calls all game, and you could see reactions from not only Carles, Polster, Farrell, they were all very adamant on the field, but also looking across the field, Bruce Arena was livid the entire match. You could see every every other call, he was up in arms, yelling something at the official. And I think honestly, like it, it referees as of late have have screwed the refs. They they really have. Um, but I think that was a key takeaway from what I saw from the game, uh, especially with uh, Pekmich having done this in the past with the Revs. He does have a history of uh, getting things wrong while officiating Revs games. And I saw things in the hashtag that were comparing him to Mark Geiger over the weekend. And that's definitely not a name you want to be compared to. even though he's the head of officiating now. Um, but I think that was a key moment for me. Yeah. And it's funny you, you mentioned Geiger because uh, Eddie says Peckmick worse than Geiger. Uh, that was one of our questions we got this week. And I don't even know how you compare the two. I'm sure someone has uh, refereeing stats, but um, it's interesting. I don't really follow the refereeing too much, but I, I do remember this guy. So that's how I know that uh, he, you know, we've had run-ins with him before. I feel like with refereeing, if you don't recognize the name, um, it's probably a good referee. Uh, if you recognize the name, it's probably a real bad sign right off the bat. Um, we, we have a ton of comments here too. Uh, and Brian, mentions i think you could do a full podcast on the referee this week um yep agree uh tim says i know i had a lot of thoughts about that game but i can't think of anything other than the ref uh tsb 11 says i hate being the guy that complains about the refs every week but i'll stop when they start getting things right when was the last time you saw a player get three yellows in a game uh porter says saw the highlights and the ref was crap he doesn't say crap uses a different word uh but uh he says uh um saw the highlights the ref was crap carry on um yeah it, it you have to talk about the refereeing in this game because it really overshadowed what was a good game. Um, it was a very good battle between people. And you mentioned the mistaken identity. I think that's the most egregious. And they said on the broadcast that the, I believe it was the fourth official can get in his earpiece and overrule him and tell him that he has the wrong person. And they never did that. Um, I, I don't understand how in the moment the commentators know that they have a mistaken identity. Everyone seemed to know it was a mistaken identity. Arroyo, who got the, the yellow card, I believe, um, although it's not popping up on my foot mob, maybe, maybe they've assigned three on foot mob, maybe they've assigned it three to Ruiz, but uh, he gave a yellow card to Arroyo, apparently, and he wasn't even close to the play. I, rewi- I, I rewinded it a little bit when I was watching the match. He's not even remotely close to the, the play. Ruiz is the only person in that area when he fouls Carlos Hill. So I, I don't understand how, as a center referee, you get that wrong. And I don't understand how his refereeing crew, no one corrected him in the moment and said, you have the wrong person. Um, and then we're not even talking about the VAR situation which I think VAR needs to be reformed completely. The fact that this has happened twice to the Revs in a season where there is a person who is 
in an offside position slightly in the goalkeeper's line of sight, the fact that that's taking away a goal at a key moment of the game seems very absurd to me. And maybe this is a letter of the law situation and they need to kind of tweak this down a little bit. This reminds me of the NFL when they were trying to dictate what is a catch. And if the ball slightly moved a little bit in someone's hand, it was ruled an incompletion. I mean, we're getting that that level of absurdity here where, as they mentioned on the broadcast, the goalkeeper reacted to Noel Buck's shot. He didn't react at all like he was screened. He didn't react at all that he could have, it didn't seem like blessing was in his line of sight or impacted him at all. And VAR for whatever reason is still finding ways to get him more involved in the play and overstate how he is in the play. So uh, it's, it's very frustrating to have to talk about what was a pretty decent game overall and a very interesting game, but it's completely overshadowed by the referees in that they took a goal off the board and they kept a man, out on the field for an additional 10 minutes. The the second yellow to Ruiz, the actual second yellow to Ruiz too, also kind of questionable. Um, I, I guess it was for simulation. And normally I'd say a referee really shouldn't be giving a second yellow. You, you really It really has to be kind of over the top to, to send him off for, I guess, time wasting. Um, it seemed like they were just looking for a reason to send him off. Um, and, and as you're right, the, the players... I thought at one point Polster and um, number 22 there on Miami, Steph... Uh, Stefanelli, I thought they were going to fight. The players were screaming back and forth at the refereeing. There was no control in this game overall. So even controversial calls aside, um, the referee did a, a really piss poor job here. Yeah, I was sitting uh, in close proximity to a lot of the family members of Revolution players, and even they honestly stated, like I had, I overheard a couple of them say, like this should be a le- like ten on nine right now, like talking about for both sides. There should have been reds either side and also while we were in the stadium and the yellow card was given out um to who we thought was going to Ruiz um the PA announcer announced that Ruiz had received a yellow card knowing us knowing that he had gotten one earlier than the match in the 37th minute uh two minutes later he then went on the broadcast and announced that it was McVeigh who got the yellow card number four I believe he was the center back he's he is the one who got the yellow card and then I'm looking currently on mlssoccer.com's uh, website so Ruiz's second card is listed as other reason it's not descent it's not foul. It's not time wasting. Other reason. So it doesn't even have a reason listed for what he really did to get the second yellow. And I know Bruce Arena was really adamant on some of the calls post game as well, uh, especially on the foul on uh, Carlos Heel late. And even he was like, that could have been a red card foul as well. I mean, it could have broken Carlos's leg. And then with the Polster fighting, that that could have been a red on either side. Um, but it was it was just all over the place. It there's no control whatsoever, and it confused not only Revs fans, but it also confused players, ex-players. I know Twelman was tweeting about the game. Kessler tweeted about the game because obviously he didn't travel with the team. In the stands, no one knew what was going on. It was, uh, it was outrageous. It was outrageous. It was all over the place. 
Also, I, I believe that uh, Dave Romney said after the game that the referees told them around the 25th minute, the next player to foul uh, Carlos Hill gets a yellow card. Uh, so I, I think he, he kind of picked up that Miami was really going at uh, Carlos Hill. He drew five fouls in this game. Uh, and it seemed like uh, they were pretty physical with him. But I, I do see McVeigh does have a yellow card. I'll have to go back and rewatch the play then. I, I didn't realize he got it. They said on the broadcast Arroyo got it. Um, maybe he was involved in the play. Earlier on, I'm not really sure what the logic is, but uh, in the moment, you can see multiple players yelling at him, and at one point, the referee says, stop, and I think it, there was just a lot of major confusion there, and it's kind of crazy to me that no one got in his ear, whether it was the fourth official or VAR, whoever, uh, and they, they say, you know, you, you have the wrong person here, because it seemed to me a very, very clear, I mean, Ruiz did foul him, that stopped the play, so I'm not totally sure what the logic was here, but uh, overall, pretty terrible. Uh, we did get a comment here from Evan Ryan slash Evan Ream. He says, Revs lost this game. Fact, not the refs. Fact, Revs played poor, poor during the first half. Fact, anyone who blames the refs uh, for the reason the Revs couldn't do anything up man needs to stop. I will say the Revs, I don't think this was their best game. I think they made a lot of mistakes. Obviously, I think when you can see twice, it's not a uh, good thing. And, and Bruce Arena did say that um, they came out pretty terribly. Um, I, I don't remember his exact wording, but he was very upset with the way the Revs came out in the first few minutes of the game. Uh, it seemed like the Revs had a really difficult time clearing the zone at times. Um, defensively, they were not super sharp. Um, I, I don't think this was their sharpest performance whatsoever. Uh, so I, I do think you can make the argument that um, this is a fine result for the Revolution, that they deserve to lose. Um, I, I personally think, especially looking at expecting goals, I think a draw is probably the fairest quote-unquote uh, result here. Um, but I, I certainly think that um, while the refereeing is a major, major part of this game, uh, I, I do think that the Revs deserve a good amount of criticism uh, coming out of this one, um, which takes me to my, my key takeaway here, uh, which is the forwards. And um, specifically, uh, Giacomo Vrioni, 23 minutes, one touch. Um, I'm not sure what exactly is going on here, uh, but this is coming off of a U.S. Open Cup game where he didn't exactly look thrilling. He was fine. Um, again, against a USL side, um, comes in this game is a, I'll say a super sub for Bobby Wood in the final third of this game. Um, one touch. I, I don't know what exactly is happening here. He seems completely out of sync with this team. I, I said a few weeks ago after the Kansas city brace, don't overreact. You know, he still has got a ways to go. And I kind of feel like I need to kind of do this PSA of don't overreact to this performance too. Um, but I, I think, this kind of shows he's got a little bit of a ways to go and he still needs to figure out, I, I think it's a chemistry issue because, um, you know, he comes in the game, Justin Rennix is getting service and Justin Rennix is making runs. Um, you know, Josie Altador is getting service and he's making runs. Um, there are players around him that are making runs and are having people send the ball to him. And he seems a little bit lost out here. And I don't know if it was just Miami was bunkering and, you know, Vrioni is playing up at the top and he doesn't really know where to go. I don't know if just the style of sending in crosses is just something he's not used to. Um, I, I mentioned before that he's, you know, in the Austri Austrian Bundesliga, he scored two goals with his head. So I think crossing and, and finding the correct run might not be great. He did have one cross to him from Esmir. I believe it was in the 74th minute where it just barely misses his head. That was probably the most dangerous he looked all night. There was also a moment in stoppage time where Carlos Heel sends a cross really to the goalkeeper. It was kind of the far post, but Vrioni is making a run uh, into the box, and it seems like he'll misses him. He looked a little frustrated with him there. Uh, and then his only other real highlight is, I think, just a pass where he receives it and then passes it back. That was it. That was it from your designated player striker. So 
I don't want to overreact. I think we still got a ways to go. And I think that it's hard to judge someone based on 30 minute chunks, but one touch in 30 minutes is not going to get it done. And I, I think there are some red flags here with this performance. Again, it might not be the individual. It might be a tactical thing, uh, but something needs to change uh, with Rioni here. Yeah, I definitely agree there as well. Um, I, in watching the game, I didn't really enjoy what Bobby would uh produced in the first half and I kind of was calling for Vrioni to come in to try and spice it up for the second half obviously and when he got subbed in uh he looked fluid right away I mean he was demanding the ball and he you could see he was frustrated when he wasn't getting the ball up top there were a couple um there are a couple moments in space where he probably with one through ball could have been on a breakaway um but the ball just never came to him. And I think when Josie entered the match as well, it kind of shook everything up because as soon as he came in, it was just terrible up front. There was no communication. And I know, I believe it was Carlos or Noel sent a through ball down the right wing and both Giacomo and Josie were running at it. And then both of them stopped running at the ball and started running into the box because they didn't know who was going to go get the ball. And it was, it was frustrating to watch. And it was, it like, it's, it's, it's disappointing. And I know there's, there, he's, he needs time. I, I think he will succeed. I mean, he has three goals in the year. Um, he's still joint top scorer with Bobby Wood and with Carlos. Um, I think he's performed well, but he's definitely not up to par with that DP trademark that he has on himself. Um, as a DP, other well, Carlos, he is, he provides assists, but you, you need at least like 14 goals if you're a DP and you've been healthy for quite a while. So it's kind of frustrating to see that he's, one, not getting into the rotation regularly as a starter, and two, that when he comes in, he's not really providing anything. Yeah, and we do have a, a couple of questions here, too. Uh, Dewan Season uh, says, Veroni uh, literally had no touches in 23 minutes. Can someone explain how this is possible? He did have one touch. He did have one touch. Um I think it's you mentioned Josie and you mentioned that that moment where the ball is being sent down the right side and, and Vrioni turns around and kind of gives like a, a he kind of sticks his hands out to his side like what are you doing Josie I think was playing to his left and Vrioni I think was playing kind of center and right and so I think Josie was kind of chasing the ball that was kind of on Vrioni's side and I think Vrioni it kind of took him by surprise and you're right he kind of stopped running part of me though wants he was in a better position to get it I, I kind of thought like just keep going if you're Vrioni you know forget what Josie's doing just like you you take the ball that's your ball um, and I think he's still just having a tough time adjusting to the personnel around him. And not only, you know, has he had some injury problems, but the players around him have an injury. So it's not just getting used to playing with Barrero and getting used to playing with, you know, Nacho Heel or, or Bo or whoever. I mean, we've had a number of players that have kind of rotated in and out around him that I think it, it might be causing a chemistry issue. Um, but with that being said, we're approaching a year of him being here. You know, it needs to be sorted out soon. So I don't know if the issue is getting him more starts. He's only started, I think, four or five games with the Rebs. Um, I, I don't know if it's just playing through it and hoping he figures it out and having it click. Um, or if you just ride, I'll say, the hot hand in Bobby Wood 
Um, you mentioned he didn't have the best game yesterday. He had a 6.1 rating on FootMob. Um, I didn't think his game was as bad as that. Um, I, there were a couple of moments there. Uh, Noel Buck had a beautiful pass in the 16th minute to, to Wood, and he kind of touches it, I believe, with the left foot. And they were saying on the broadcast that if he shoots it with his right foot, he's going to be able to kind of curl that in. But instead, he kind of touches it, touches it, just goes wide. A minute later, he gets across from, uh, I believe it was Latif Blessing, uh, and Wood, I think, barely touches it. It doesn't go in. It kind of just goes across the, the face of goal. And that play ends up turning into Noel Buck, um, his, his goal that was taken away from VAR. So outside of that, Wood didn't really have many other dangerous chances. I will say on the Carlos Heel goal, he does a good job of kind of spreading the defenders. When when Polster passes the ball to Carlos Heel, Heel's kind of running kind of in between two defenders. Buck is on his right, and Bobby Wood kind of pinches in. He's in an offside position. He comes back, and then he starts ro- rolling left. And I think that freezes the defender to guard the pass because he's expecting Carlos Heel to guard the pass instead of taking the shot. Um, and so I think Bobby Wood did do a little bit there to um, stall the defender and, and kind of create that chance. Um, but outside of that, I mean, Bobby Wood is a good little player. He's a depth player. He's certainly doing a lot better than I think we thought he was going to be coming into the season. But I think everyone knows that long-term Bobby Wood is not going to be your starting striker. If you are, have, have MLS cup aspirations. And when you have a designated player sitting there in the wings, you really need him to figure it out. So I, I don't know if these 30 minute bunches are going to help, I, I, I don't know. I'm I'm curious to see how Bruce Arena manages this because this is a pretty big decision. And I, I hate comparing Vrioni to Buxa, but we had a similar situation with Buxa in 2021 where there were some formational issues. Buxa was coming off the bench at times, and he did eventually figure it out. But he figured it out by by playing, and he figured it out by getting 90 minutes in. So um, it's a real conundrum for Bruce here whether or not he's going to stick with Bobby Wood, who is doing the little things, um, or if he says, you know, we, we really need Vrioni to figure that out. Um, he's starting 90 minutes from here on out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's really frustrating knowing that week in and week out, you don't know who your starting striker is, especially with our fluctuating injury report. Um, it's It's crazy that we can go into every weekend and go, is Gustavo healthy? Is Giacomo in form? Is Bobby Wood the guy up top? Oh, he's not? Why is Justin Renickson? Is Josie playing today? It's kind of like, when are we going to find fluidity and consistency up top? And will that happen at all this season? Or are we just going to play roll the dice and, oh, he's been playing good in training. Boom. It's like we need we have two DPs. Obviously, Bo was hurt this week. Uh, he's dealing with a with a left leg and I think it's left leg injury. And obviously, Brioni had a slight knock a couple weeks ago. But seeing seeing a different front three basically every weekend is not going to help this team chemistry wise and giving your guys like. 20 minutes off the bench is not helping either. I think Bruce Arena has the most substitutions in the 65th minute than any other coach in the league. Okay, just real sidebar. what did you think of those substitutions? Cause I thought blessing um, or sorry, not blessing. I thought Boateng, we've talked about him being a super sub baby. He can't go 90 minutes. 
he's proven he can go 90 minutes to me. I know he had one game where he, had, he went full 90 minutes. I thought he was one of the more dangerous players on the field. I thought Noel Buck was doing great work kind of on the right. And then they brought in Justin Rennox, put him on the right, and they moved, they moved Noel Buck around a lot this game. I know he can do a lot of different things, but it seemed to me the line change of going from um, your, your first three of Wood, Botang, and, and Buck up top, and then, you know, taking out Blessing and, and um, putting in Rennox and putting in uh, Vrioni, uh, especially the Renix thing. Um, Esmir, I thought was fine. We'll get to Esmir in a little bit, but I thought putting on kind of like a new, you know, line change essentially up top. I didn't really like that substitution. Uh, what was your thoughts on Bruce's timing of those subs? So when the 65th, when the 65th minute like rolled around, uh, I tweeted right away when they all started moving to the bench and, like I said, like we said, uh, Vrioni obviously came in for Wood. Barak Tarevich came in for Blessing, and then Renix came in for Boateng. I hated Renix coming in for Boateng. I absolutely hate that substitution. I don't care how good Justin Renix has been the last three weeks and how much praise he's gotten. You do not sub out the most dangerous winger in the entire game. Him and Dewan Jones were making. F- I mean, from the stands, from right in front of me in that first half, they were making DeAndre Yedlin look like a toddler. They were outrunning DeAndre Yedlin and making him look like a toddler. The fact that Ima got substituted was, especially this early, like 67th minute, I would have expected like 85th minute for, or something, like later. But the fact that that, like that sub annoyed me. That I did not like that sub at all. Um, blessing... I didn't like how Blessing played. I don't think he had the best game. So I'm I'm not too mad about that. But I know we're going to get to Barak Tarevich in a little bit. But I would have preferred Paniatu, to be honest. I want to see this kid do something. Um, And I know Barak Tarevich has performed well with the Revs, too. So obviously he's going to get his chance. But I really want to see Jack P, like, perform. And then we've already mentioned earlier, I, I, I wanted Vrioni in for Wood. Um, I, I think I think he missed the mark. But, again, that one you take with time. But with Bruce's substitutions, I, I, I don't understand them as well. I mean, even in the 85th minute, like, obviously we're up a man and we sub out Matt Polster, who was kind of getting out of hand. I, I honestly thought that he was going to get sent off because of how angry he was. But – we replaced Matt with Josie. I would have preferred Renix to come in then or Paniatu to come in then. Um, and along with this sub, I know like it's Josie. People have a, their negative connotation on him. He had one shot from two and three yards out and it, he missed. Like it was saved, but like you're, you're a known striker that played in the World Cup, man you're going to get slack from fans when you're not scoring and you're missing from four yards out. Like, come on. Like that is the moment where you shut fans up and you blow it again, especially with that open cup performance the last week and missing the sitter he had and then doing it again. It's just, some of these subs don't make sense or they do, but the the players in which they're subbed, the, the timing should be switched. 
I mean, you mentioned uh, uh, Jack P. Uh, you mentioned uh, someone else there that you'd rather see come in. I mean, Damien Rivera, I don't know if he was available for this game. I'd rather see Rivera in this game. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know what Altador brings. I think really the logic here is let's get another big body in the box and hope it works out. But I, I feel like Josie and Rioni, as we kind of talked about earlier, they're kind of getting on top of each other. So it's a little frustrating to see, um, you know, you're taking a body out of the midfield. And there we did get a comment, too, about um, uh, Noel Buck uh, being moved back. I mean, he essentially went from going up in the box to sitting back in the midfield and crossing balls because he was pretty much the only midfielder left out there. Uh, Dave Romney ended up stepping up uh, and, and kind of filling in some of the gaps. Uh, and, and Miami was down a man. They're they're bunkering a little bit. So I think the logic was just throw another attacker out there. And, well, Josie's our only other attacker. So let's throw him out there. Um, but I, I don't see a lot of plus in, in Josie. Um, and, and you mentioned the open cup game. I will say at least he got this one on frame. I'm not totally sure if he was trying to go five hole um, or if he was just surprised that the ball was there and he just fired blindly. Um, but it, it was right at the goalkeeper. It was right at calendar. He, and, and I mean, you know, props to calendar that he kind of sprinted out and he reacted well and, and um, you know, made the save. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was low and low and directly at the goalkeeper. I mean, there really wasn't a ton of um, odds of that going in outside of Josie. I think aiming for the five hole and hoping that he, he hits calendar while he's in stride. I'm not totally sure. Uh, again, I, it just seemed like he saw the ball and he just blasted it as hard as he could. Um, so not, not a great moment from Josie Altador. Yeah. I mean, obviously calendar's a great goalkeeper in April. He was called up for his first U S men's national team call up. He's a 25 year old keeper and he's had quite the journey to the pros kind of similar, honestly, to, um, to Matt Turner. To be honest, he was acquired from with homegrown rights from San Jose. He was he was picked in the draft, but he didn't meet any performance things. He played for San Francisco Glens and then got a lucky tryout with Inter Miami. Didn't really make the first team. Made Fort Lauderdale's team. Showed out, and now he's on Inter. He's Inter Miami's starting keeper. Like I get it. He's a great goalkeeper. But you're four yards out, and you're a striker that scored goals in a World Cup. Scored goals and went to a World Cup. It was just frustrating. And also to add on your point as well on uh, Rivera, Rivera was not available because he was with Revs too. He did score a hat trick the other day for Revs too. But in regard to wingers or off-the-bench players, so you had Omar Gonzalez, Christian McCoon, Earl Edwards Jr., who wasn't going to get in the game, uh, you had Renix, Bartarovic, Altador, and Vrioni who went in, and then the two wingers or midfielders, you have Jack Paniantu and Joshua Bulma. Um, and I know we've really only been playing Bulma at right back when he goes in. He, he is a forward. He was signed as a, he was a center attacking mid slash winger in college. I, I would see no reason give, or I don't see why there isn't any reason giving him a chance in that type of scenario as well. No, I was just gonna say. I think Plan A should have been Ema gets more minutes. I, oh, for I, sure. I, I think uh, all these options are better than Josie, in my opinion. But I think overall, I think taking out Ema was a, a, a big miss because there's going to be a drop off in quality on the wing either way. And, and Esmer, I thought, did a pretty decent job. Um, but I, I think taking off all three players all at once really kind of affected the flow because the Revs were looking a little bit dangerous before that. And I'm fine if you want to take off. Uh, Bobby Wood for Vrioni, but I, I think the wingers in that situation might have been a little bit too early. So anyway, just 
bringing that home. But um, Caleb, while we were disappointed in the subs, one thing I'm not disappointed in is our sponsor, Galasso Kits. Their mission is to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home with a catalog of jerseys, jackets, scarves, and more from clubs and national teams from over 80 countries in the world. They have men's national team merch. They have Revolution merch. They have merch from your favorite European club that you support from afar. Galasso Kits will have something that you want and need in your closet. And if you're not sure of what you want, you can check out their mystery kit packages where you enter in the size and style of jersey that you like. And Galasso will surprise you with the kit of your dreams. So go check out GalassoKits.com for their full selection and make sure you follow them at GalassoKits on Twitter and on GalassoKits on Instagram. They have weekly inventory videos where they show you all of their new stuff. Uh, so you'll be the first to know when they get something in their store. And when you find something you like, please use promo code RevsRecap to save 15% off your order. That is promo code RevsRecap at GalassoKits.com to save 15% off your order. Links and codes are in the show notes. We did get a question here from Rachel. Which hurt the team more, the officiating or the Revs' effort? Would they have found a way to win if Bucks' goal stood? I didn't really hate the effort too much. I thought the effort, especially compared to the Pittsburgh Riverhound game, where I thought the Revs really did not show up to play. Um, but um, I, I think the officiating was just such a such a mess. And you, you know, you mentioned Polster getting that yellow card. You know, and he, I do believe he was taken out a few minutes later. I think those two things are directly linked. And Polster is a bit of an enforcer. He's a bit of, you know, he, at times he's a hothead. I'm just going to say it. And I think you could see the frustration mounting on the Revolution players with this officiating. So not only did the officiating kind of screw over the team in a few instances, but I think, you know, the tension kind of built from the Revs. I think the Revs do need to kind of put it under them. But you mentioned Bruce's reaction. I think the players, their reaction to the refereeing was you know, a bit astonished too, like the rest of us. Um, so I, I think the officiating definitely had a negative impact on this game overall. Again, not 100% of the blame goes to the officiating. I'm not excusing the Revs for, for losing this game on the officiating. Um, but I think the officiating um, certainly is, is more to blame uh, for the Revs' effort. Um, and in terms of uh, would they have found a way to win if Buck's goal stood? I think you can make the argument if Buck's goal stands, uh, maybe the Revs take the foot off the gas a little bit. Maybe there's kind of more of a 50-50 balance and Heel's goal that happens about five minutes later doesn't happen. So it's hard to, to kind of figure out, especially when there's an early goal or, or a big significant event early in the first half, how the rest of the game plays out. Um, but I, I think if the officiating was better and maybe if Buck's goal stands, maybe this game is a tie instead of a loss. But again, that's that's all speculation. Of course. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I think the officiating definitely was the biggest point of this game, um, though I will argue in the first 15 minutes when Inter-Miami scored their first goal in the seventh minute, the first 15 solid minutes, I was in the stands thinking we're losing this game 6-0. We looked terrible. But after Buck's goal was scored, I forget which minute it was in, I think it was the 16th, when, when Buck scored, Inter-Miami the whole stadium looked deflated. They looked like they just got shot. Like it was a real kick in the chest. And I think honestly, if that goal score uh, stood, the Rebs would have taken over that game. I think that there, there would have been a complete uh, control switch. And you could tell as soon as the goal was called off, anger started spewing through Carlos Polster, uh, Farrell, even Romney was upset. Bruce was obviously angry. The media team loves making memes of him now of just being angry. Um, it's just, I think, I think the game, this game would have been a different outcome. And I think the referees probably wouldn't have as much slack on them as they do currently. Um, but obviously, like you said, Revs could have switched to be more defensive, more counterattack based. 
their subs would be different and definitely personnel changes would be different. But I, I think the refs definitely are a big topic of discussion in this game. I'll also say too, you know, the refs came out flat. They, they responded. And I think, you know, it's certainly, you know, frustrating to see the revs come out and play as poorly as they did in the first 10 minutes. Um, and, and I mean, very early in the game too. I mean, there's a moment in the opening minutes where Miami is pressing and the revs move the ball all the way back to Petro and he just boots the ball out. I mean, it was a complete waste of a possession and Miami got the ball in, in our attacking third. And it's a minor, minor moment in this game. But I think it just kind of showed that Miami set the tone really early. And this was a game that they could have folded and they didn't. And so they, they still lost, but I still, you know, in, in terms of questioning effort, this wasn't a game where I watched and I said, the ref's effort is poor, you know, or, or sorry, the, the revs effort is poor. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Anyway, let's move on. Um, RF Dawson says, uh, why not the larger question of why the officiating isn't growing or evolving as the level of play does? How many of the pro referees are actually better officials than the players that are officiating the players? Uh, we had official crew do the World Cup final, but then uh, dot, dot, dot. I think that's a good question. And it, what's interesting about MLS is if you look at where MLS was 10 years ago, you know, very elementary to where it is today, right? I mean, the the level of talent that has come in MLS over the past 10 years since I've been covering the Revs has grown exponentially. And I, I think the refereeing and the technology and the, you know, same thing can be said for the national media covering MLS and local media covering MLS. I think the league and the quality of play on the field is growing and growing and growing and growing. And it's a sport that is growing and growing and growing and growing. And there are other aspects that just aren't catching up. Uh, at the same pace. And I think one of those things is refereeing, where I think these referees are just as bad as they were five, 10 years ago. Um, and, and I don't know what the answer is. I, I don't know how to change that. Um, and I think VAR, uh, not to sound like Bruce here, I think VAR has thrown a wrench into it that has just added to the complexity and has added to kind of the confusion. And, and, and it's just all very poor. I mean, I, 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 you don't watch the Premier League and, and see as many games, the percentage of games that impact the Premier League by refereeing is not as high as MLS. It just can't be. So um, I think that's a good point. And I think pro referees, we, I feel like we talk about this two, three times a year. You know, it's a real problem. The, the quality of refereeing in, in MLS is very poor, and I don't know how to fix it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I am a, a licensed referee, so I know kind of like the pathway to becoming a referee. And I mean, we get the same referees year in and year out because not a lot of people make it that far. The journey to becoming a pro referee is a long one. Um, so obviously their whole system changed in 2020 during like the middle of COVID. Um, and basically the licenses in order go grassroots, regional, national pro, and then FIFA. That's the, the basic level progression. And it's kind of like I I know one statement that Mark Mark Geiger was talking about because obviously he runs the show now. He even said it's a it's a long journey. A lot of referees aren't going to do this journey because of one parents, two travel, three major issues on wanting to do it or not. Um, and there's only a handful of referees that are in each level, so. Pro has different levels, which is uh, A tier, B tier, and C tier. And A tier kind of consists of like referees close to getting trials in MLS games. There's roughly like, I think, 10 referees in that. And then B tier has eight who are in the next level. And then C tier 
has, I believe, 24. And those refs focus on like high-end college games or they're doing USL games. So for these refs to really get a chance to go to the show, per se, uh, it's, it's not really common. So they need to like, I don't know, it's kind of just like a co- like the road to being a professional player. You got to put the work in. And if not, you're just going to have the same players and refs that are out there. Uh, and and I, I, I'm also sure, I mean, and this has been a problem since I was a teenager, because I remember I, I at one point was trying to be a uh, umpire for baseball, um, that the number of people that go into officiating is decreasing. And, uh, you know, if you have to start at the youth sports level or the high school level, I think the amount of, I'll say, harassment that referees get or the amount of arguing is um, growing and growing and growing. And, you know, I, I've coach uh, basketball in for just town rec in the off season. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard not to argue when there's a, a bad call or, you know, and, and I've seen a ton, uh, but there are a lot of coaches that just go over the top with these type of things. So really at the bottom of this pyramid that you're talking about, um, I feel like there's a lot of people that just don't want to advance because, or, or even get into it because it's not, you know, worth the headache of, of dealing with all of these parents for, you know, a, a small fee, you know, per game or per hour or whatever it is. So, um, I do want to say we weren't planning on doing this, but John Stafford sent in a, a comment. He said, trying to change the subject on terrible refs. I'd like to hear a segment in a future episode with a local up and coming ref, what the challenges and assignments are, et cetera. Um, and, and we weren't planning on doing that because uh, I, I didn't know you were a licensed referee, but I think you kind of covered uh, the, the basics real well. And we might do something a little more in depth in the future if we have someone um, else or, or if you want to do, in, be involved with that, Caleb. But of course, yeah. I have uh, one more point to add to that, just so people realize, uh, as well as if you're either you have kids that play or that you go to games, 70%, this is on New York Times, 70% of referees quit after three years of starting. And according to the New York Times, after COVID hit, 57% of referees registered through U.S. soccer quit after COVID. That's why there's such a referee shortage currently across the United States. Some numbers for you. And I don't think that's uh, limited to soccer either, because I know in basketball, at least down yeah. here locally, we, we're having a real issue with the referees. So let's move back to the game. Um, I'm glad we checked off that of box. Hopefully that answers some questions for John. If John or anyone else has any questions about that, let us know and, and maybe we'll cover it or we'll do a special podcast in the future. Um, but let's get back to the game. We don't want this uh, running too long. RF Dawson also says, how much salary are we wasting on players who stink in the U.S. Open Cup matches? And we, can we get that money back by cutting them? Uh, hear that, Omar and Josie. So I talked about Josie's contract in length last episode. It was our midweek episode um, uh, that we did. And, and it's very complicated. I'm not going to repeat everything there because TFC is paying for a portion. We don't know how much he's making. I know there's a $4.2 million number in the MLSPA data last year. I don't think that's going to be the number this year, but I don't know that. Um, so anyway, we'll, we'll put Josie aside cause we just don't know, uh, in terms of Omar Gonzalez, he made 425 last year in salary 450 in total compensation. These numbers are, are different. Um, in terms of other players that I think are a bit of an issue, quote unquote, I mean, Giacomo Vrioni is a designated player. So his cap hit is 650. Um, but I believe he's somewhere in the millions. I don't know if his, his number was reported last year, uh, but he's a designated player. So he's going to be in the millions most likely. Um, Latif Blessing is a TAM player, um, but I don't think he's a major issue overall. Um, we mentioned Omar Gonzalez. I'm not sure if there's anyone else that we really want to talk about as a, a 
stinking in the U.S. Open Cup, but I, I would say in terms of quote-unquote bad value, Gustavo Bo last year made $2.5 million um, and $2.675 million in total compensation. He's a designated player, so his cap hit is six fifty. Um, and then Josie Altidore, as I mentioned, um, we don't know what his cap hit is. We don't know what uh, the Revs are paying him. We don't know what TFC is paying for him. So there's a lot of money here that is quote-unquote bad value. In terms of how can we get that money back, you can use a one-time buyout clause. Uh, and it used to be you could only do this in the offseason if you bought out a player in the middle of the season. Season, um, you did not get cap relief. You now get cap relief, I believe, through July 1st. So the Revs can cut a player uh, if they would like to use the buyout clause. Again, I'm not sure if they're going to use that on Josie. I explained why a little bit more last week. Um, but um, someone like Omar, I, I feel like Omar is not as big a problem this year. Um, that saves you 400000 I don't think anyone else is really in buyout territory. So um, you can always loan someone. You can always trade someone and get that money off the books. But um, in terms of a buyout, I'm not totally sure what is happening this year. Yeah, I mean, the money across the board is something we have very little knowledge on. Uh, I believe that Josie number, Toronto is paying less than what they paid last year. So we're actually paying for a larger portion than we paid last year. I know that for a fact. And that's going to diminish until I believe he runs out December of 2024. I think he has a contract that runs through next year and the revs pay a hundred percent of the contract next year. So if we're looking for a Josie buyout, it's probably going to be in this off season. But again, we don't know. I I, I said, listen to the last podcast. Now we're kind of covering all my points from that positive. Uh, I I have a theory that the revs aren't using the buyout clause because TFC, you know, if you use the buyout, does TFC also get that cap release cap relief? And maybe that's playing into the equation where they're like, you know, we have some cap space. We can make some moves in the summer. You know, we can eat this money, but it, you know, we, we don't want to help out TFC by opening up, you know, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. pick, pick a random number. You know, if it's, if it's a high number that TFC is paying, does that, you know, free up some money for them? That, that might not be something the revs are looking to do. So that's kind of my theory that I have no, that's complete speculation and there's no factual information on, but I, I think that's why we might not see the buyout until the off season. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I do, I do not think there's a single player on our roster that will be bought out. No, and, this, and, this and, season. And historic, this. historically, the revs don't use the buyout. Typically, they do mutual termination, um, which is different. And there's no cap space that is lost there. But like Bootner, I guess Somi was mutual termination. Um, Sean has talked about it a little bit before. Um, yes. Yeah. So anyway, we'll get moving on. Uh, Jennifer Goodman, what to, the, what to do about the revs in Altador? Not much we can do about the revs and not much we can do about Altador, as we just kind of covered. So I'll, I'll skip that one. Uh, Thomas says all that controversy, all that drama. And Josie misses a sitter. That's <laughs> hitting on Caleb's point earlier. Um, Rob, right. Foley, Rob Foley says entertaining game, but frustrating too. What do the rev strikers need to do to get more involved in the game? And what are your ratings of Wood, Vrioni, and Altador for tonight's game? I'll, I'll go to you for the what do the rev strikers need to do more. We talked about it a little bit, um, but I, I just want to give my, my ratings. And I'll do grades. I like grades more than ratings. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say the first point is be consistent, at least show that you're consistent. I mean, not everyone's going to have a 10 out of 10 match performance week in and week out, but like you can't go from scoring two goals in a game to then touching the ball once in 23 minutes. I mean, I love Jack Brown. I think he's great. He's a great guy, great person, but come on, (laughs) smell the roses, read the room. Like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta perform, man. Like, and that goes for, that goes for Bobby Wood too. And when Josie plays, it goes for Josie too. I mean, consistency is the biggest key. And 
I know uh, Giacomo is doing extra time with um, with Richie and staying back with some of the other coaches and staying extra at training to get better. If that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. Like you got to put the work in and do it. I know Buxa did that. Buxa had a terrible start with the Revs, and then he went on to score what 18 goals, 16 goals, 17 goals, whatever. It's like if you're gonna put the work in, put the work in and be consistent and show like you have the desire and drive to start week in and week out. And obviously I'm, I'm, I'm going to let you do your grades first before I go into mine. But I mean, it's just consistent. It's about consistency. It's, that's, that's really it. It's consistency in training, consistency in matches, consistency across the board, be consistent. And I'd also like to, I, I can't stress this enough. I think we're getting 30 minute blips of Rioni where he's coming in in a game we're winning and his job is to press, and you know they're, they're, we're not committing men forward, and so obviously he's not going to get many chances to score there. Or you know he's bunched in the middle and in a crowded field, and we're swinging in balls, and you know his game is not headers. So I think for Vrioni, I would like to see him start a little bit more. And I know for for Bruce, he's just going to play the hot hand, and I think he likes Bobby Wood right now as the starter, and they're getting results. So I can't really argue with it too much. But I think we are going to hit a point in the season where maybe we hit uh, you know draw draw draw, or we you know loss draw loss win. And, you know, we need a shakeup. I'd like to see Vrioni get some 60, 70 minute performances. And I think it'll be easier to assess. Is this a problem long term? And if he gets a month of starts and he can't produce, I think then we have a much bigger problem on our hand. But in terms of grades, I'd give Bobby Wood a B. I know a lot of people weren't impressed with Bobby Wood. I don't think Bobby Wood, you know, my expectations for Bobby Wood is not very high. So I think Bobby Wood, he had a couple of decent chances. I know he missed his shot. Um, he, he missed the shot uh, from no buck that could have been better. Uh, but I think he opened up that play for Carlos Hill. And that was a, 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 a nice move. Um, overall, I didn't haze game overall. Actually, I'm going to, I'm going to go like B minus. Let me go B minus on here. Cause I, I think he did enough um, for, for his job. Brioni, he had one touch. I, I think that has to be an F Josie Altador missed that sitter. I, I think he, his, him putting him in the game was, was, you know, more of a negative than a positive. So I'm giving out the door an F2. Um, I, I don't know how I can't give an F to those guys, but Caleb, what did I get wrong? So I agree right away with Bobby Wood. That's a solid B minus. Uh, I, I know he's been, he has been consistent. Uh, he's been the player that's been scoring goals. So you can't really take him out of the lineup that easily. If he's the hot hand, you got to play him. Um, especially when Bo is out. Uh, I think he played like good, but obviously I wanted a change to Brioni, but that didn't work out either. I know Brioni had one touch on the game. I wouldn't, I won't give him an F though. Cause I think he made some fluid runs that actually gave us a good amount of chances. So I would actually upgrade him to a D even though he didn't really get a touch or more than a couple touches. I know he had one touch, he had one pass, um, but he did add an attacking presence up front. And I know that he was double teamed for a, a lot of those crosses that were going into the box, surprisingly. And Josie, you hit it right in the head. That's an F. I mean, you you can't miss a goal from four yards out like that, especially when the fans have been haunting you on Twitter, at games. It, you want to play, you got to score. And if he's not scoring, Olga Escobar, who's on the U17 team, I'll put him and put him at striker. He scored three goals in two games for the U17s. I'm, I'm losing. I'm 
my patience is dwindling with with him and it's it's gonna come to a point where it's let's let's put our money where where your mouth is show why you're worth four million score a goal yeah and and you know if you're the guy coming off the bench late in games you know you need to convert your one chance you get you know you're not going to get many chances and he had one against pittsburgh uh he had one here against miami um not an encouraging game from from josie and it seems like it's it's really tough for him to get in spots uh where where you can score so uh ryan says the refs var the finishing capabilities of our striker this game was frustrating i know we can do better as a team i agree uh barbara s says can they replace barrero it feels like we need a little magic the crossing has become predictable and teams are just clogging up the box waiting for a cross uh she also says what's your opinion of arena subbing we talked about that a little earlier uh and she also says is there a reason for the yellow card confusion that i missed so confusing i, I don't think we have a reason we talked about um you know, not only did the refs get it wrong, but uh, he was not helped out by um, his team and the other referees that apparently could have told him he had a uh, wrong person. But let's get back to Barrero. Can they replace Barrero? We've had a few games here uh, where we've seen Botang replace him basically as the like for like sub. Uh, Caleb, what are your thoughts? Do you think long term the refs are going to be able to replace Dylan Barrero? Uh, I do believe they will. And I think that they will be active in the uh, summer transfer window. Uh, I believe that the refs will sign a winger in the transfer window and i will assume again assume uh that they will sign a u22 initiative type signing to straight swap replace him uh obviously he is going to be out for time um due to that injury and the reds do open a initiative spot due to his injury uh the player just has to make a salary that is equivalent to or lower than Barrero's. And I would, I know that the Reds have had scouting uh, across South America as of recent. Um, I know they were at uh, a tournament in Brazil. I believe there were one in Colombia and I think one in Ecuador, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I don't think that the Reds would target a South American player at this moment, uh, especially with the ongoing scandals that are going down there with betting and gambling. So I think we kind of slide away from uh, either the Brazilian league or the Colombian league or the Argentinian league. And I think we're, we're going to get a young European um, who not sure. Again, this is all just speculation. This is assumption. Um, but I think Barrera will be replaced. And I mean, this, this off season again is going to be very interesting because uh, we might not have Gustavo Bo next year. So that's another DP slot. And if we don't occupy it, we get more uh, young DPs. We could either get a young DP slot or more U22 initiative type players. So along with that, it's very intriguing to see, where this team is really going to drive its market value and what players they really want to continue with. And I think that there are going to be a good, good amount of changes in this off season. Obviously we're mid, we're not, are we, we're not even mid season yet. About a third of the way through. We're about a third of the way through. So obviously I'm not going to talk about off season yet. When, when you, when I will, uh, you'll see eyeballs on Twitter. Um, But at this point, like you, you should expect, players to be moved or signed. I, 
I think we're, we'll definitely trade for uh, we'll tr- we'll trade some gam, make some signings. I think we'll tr- we'll do a couple inter MLS trades, and I think we're gonna get a replacement for Barrero. Though I like Boateng's replacement already. I love that he's getting more time. I just hope that Bruce doesn't keep subbing him in the 65th minute when we know he can go 90. He's proven that. One thing, too, about the uh, uh, Boateng thing, they mentioned this on the broadcast, too, and I know Hayden Bird mentioned this in his article on Boston.com, but Boateng kind of hugs the touchline, and so Dewan Jones has been making more runs into the box, which has added kind of an element that's that's pretty dangerous to the Revs. I mean, if you're a defender, not only do you have to worry about closing down Ima Boateng, sending in crosses, but now you have Dewan Jones, who is lightning fast, cutting into the box. Uh, so I, I think that has kind of opened up um, a new element of this offense, which I think is, is pretty good because I think the crossing is, we have a few questions here about crossing that I'll get to right now. Silverfoot says, are the Revs settling for crosses or are our attackers failing to capitalize? It might be both. Um, but Gordon also says, do we, how do we fix the strikers problem? All of them seem out on an Island all game. Is this a system issue or do we just have the wrong recruitment up top? And any Revs UK says, I feel the Rev, the, I feel we need to freshen things up as we're making too many silly errors. How do you see Bruce doing this with the pieces we have formational change or personnel change? I think all those three questions are kind of related because I think these questions, um, you know, the, the, the crossing, the revs do rely on crossing a lot. And it's been that way for a while. But when you had Adam Buxa, it wasn't that much of an issue. Whereas Bobby Wood and Giacomo Frioni, um, you know, the, the crossing just doesn't seem to work. And late in this game, they're sending in cross, 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 cross. You know, Esmir is sending in, Esmir, I, I thought, sent in some pretty dangerous crosses. The problem is you have Justin Rennox on the end of them or you have Josie Altador on the end of them. And, you know, those players aren't, I think, the guys you want to be targeting late in the game. You want an Adam Buxa. You want someone who is uh, taller and, and, you know, has some very strong aerial ability. Um, and, and I don't know if Rioni is that guy right now. So um, I think the system does need to be tweaked a little bit. And the Revs need to work on getting into the box a little bit more. Because you have guys like Noel Buck and Latif Blessing and Carlos Hill who, you know, in the midfield, when they and Dwayne Jones, they can cut into the box and uh, and score from from close range. So um, I'd like to see them try to work the ball into the box a little bit more, as opposed to cross and pray. Yeah, I I mean, personnel is definitely something that is always going to be discussed, and obviously decision makings that um, Bruce makes, whether it's starters or it's just what's going on obviously and i i wouldn't say we have a crossing problem it's more or less do we it's there's a lot of work that needs to be done and i think obviously i don't think it's a system more issue i think it's more chemistry that needs to be fixed i mean the reds have always played the same formation even though it said, oh, they're playing a 4-3-3. Oh, they're playing a 4-2-3-1. It's the same formation. It really is. It's just how teams shift and counterattack and defend. I mean, the formation is just for you to realize, okay, this is who I'm marking. This is this. This is that. When you get into a game, you have a different shape. Sometimes you'll move to a 3. Sometimes you move to a 4. Sometimes you're from, you'll have 5 attackers. Sometimes you'll have 2. It's all about fluidity and chemistry with your unit. And the forwards, like we've stated earlier, they've not been on the same page or consistent. So with, I think consi- consistency might be a good title for this podcast because consistency has been terrible. The refs weren't consistent. The strikers aren't consistent. Bruce's subbing isn't consistent. Well, his timing is, but 
who he subs is not. It's it's all over the place. It's all it really is. Um, Alden says Noel scored a great goal and then we moved him further back and created so little all game, uh, WTF Bruce, WTF refs, uh, WTF Renix, etc. I will say we haven't really talked about Noel Buck. I, I think, you know, he's obviously become a, a really great player. And I think, you know, although these injuries are pretty poor, it's opened up the ability to play him more and more as time has gone on. Um, and I think his versatility is a weapon. Um, and, and it seems like no matter what role he plays in, He's good. I know moving him back might not have been the best scenario, but he was still sending in some dangerous crosses towards the end. Um, and as I mentioned, he should have had a goal uh, that VAR took away. He should have had an assist uh, if Bobby Wood shoots with his right foot instead of his left, according to the announcers. Um, so I, I, I know uh, we haven't really talked about Noel Buck, but I feel like it's worth noting um, that Buck had a pretty solid game overall. I thought also, we haven't mentioned Andrew Farrell in this podcast yet. I thought Farrell had a pretty decent game overall, too. Um, pretty quiet. You know, not the greatest game ever. He's not going to win team of the week uh, for a, a defender. Um, but, you know, for a guy that a lot of people question, um, I, I thought he was pretty solid in this game. Yeah, I really like how Andrew Farrell is slotted into this lineup, obviously, with the uh, injury to Henry Kessler. I think that Farrell has actually proven that he's still Andrew Farrell. He knows what he's doing, and he's performing at a degree that I honestly – did not expect. I did not think he would perform uh, this well. Um, I didn't really expect it, to be honest. And I'm kind of pleased with it. I mean, a lot of people give him flack all the time. And I, I'm really happy to see that he's performed well as of late. And I hope that it continues. I hope that he continues playing up to the standard that he's at. And I, I think him sliding in, obviously, with what he was dealt to begin this year, um, he's done a very good job. And there's not really much that you can, like, say to be like, all right, well, it, it's Andrew Farrell's fault. He's done well. He's done great. And and then adding on Noel Buck, Noel Buck's been fantastic. I think him and Carlos Hill have been our – they're our two best midfielders. And I know we chimed in a little bit on Latif Blessing's performance uh, throughout the day. And obviously, Polster being a hothead, being a hothead. Um, but I, I really agree. Like, I think he's done quite well. Uh, blessing and obviously, uh, or sorry, Buck and Farrell as of late. And if Noel Buck keeps continuing on how he is, he'll be in the Premier League in no time. I, I fully believe that. Let, let's talk about Latif Blessing because we've touched on it. Randy LH says, feels like Blessing has been just uh, has been just bad the last couple games after a strong start to the season. Uh, that accurate? And if so, any thoughts why? He definitely has taken a step back. He was one for six in um, ground duels this game. Um, certainly he had a few weeks off uh, while he had his family uh, immigrate over from Ghana. Uh, and by the way, if you have not listened to the soccer show uh, with DJ Bean, there is a good interview with Latif Blessing. Uh, at the end of that episode, uh, which he kind of goes into the details about getting his family over here. So I recommend that uh, if you've not heard it yet. Uh, but um, Caleb, what are your thoughts on Latif Blessing these past few weeks? It seems like he's taken a step back. I mean, obviously players come in and out of form. Uh, we know the type of caliber player that Latif Blessing is. And honestly, I, I think he just needs a little bit of time. Obviously, he just got his family back like like you just stated um and obviously that that will take time to kind of adapt and and everything but I, I i still think that he should be providing a lot more than what he's been doing and he's he's dealing with pers 
he's dealing with personal changes too, right? Similar to the conversation with Vrioni, the formation, I know the formation uh, moves around, uh, you know, uh, caveat that, that Bruce always likes to say that the formation is just a starting position, but, you know, uh, the roles and responsibilities and the personnel around him have changed. Uh, and I think for Blessing, you know, that's tough to come into a new team uh, and try to fit in right away. So I, I think this might be a combination of things here where, you know, Blessing, you know, maybe with, with Barrero out, uh, maybe his roles have changed a little bit and he, he's kind of working. Uh, it, it's just a bit of a transition phase for him. But I did think there were a few uh, times early, especially early in the game, uh, where him and Bai uh, got burned down that left side pretty badly, uh, where Bai was pinching up really, really, really high uh, and Blessing was not able to kind of cover for him. I think that might have been an adjustment that they made where Bai kind of stayed back a little bit. Uh, so Blessing didn't have as many defensive responsibilities. Uh, but um, yeah, just not a not a great game for Blessing. We've seen better, but I'm not concerned about him long term. So. No, I'm not either. Uh, Paulo says, Esmir was trash, uh, bolster and blessing as well, uh, but the ref was beyond garbage. Uh, we still should have gotten a point, though. Agree about the, the point. I thought Esmir was okay. He certainly sent in some dangerous crosses, um, and I think for, for what he was expected to do was fine, but he certainly was no Boateng, which we kind of talked about. Um, and I, I, I know I, I was more negative than most on Polster last week. I thought Polster was fine this game. He has the assist to Carlos Hill, which was uh, a pretty nice uh, pass break in the line. I believe he had nine passes uh, into the final third in this game. He also had a, um, a couple of pretty key interceptions in midfield. Um, he won a couple of balls, including the one where uh, uh, Ruiz, on his what should have been his second yellow card, where he fouls Carlos Hill. That starts from uh, Matt Polster jumping up, winning a ball uh, with a strong tackle and moving the ball at Carlos Hill. So um, I thought Matt Polster actually had a pretty solid game this game. Um, and I know he's lost a step, in, in my opinion, compared to a couple of years ago. I don't think he's making an, the MLS All-Star game, where, whereas he was in that conversation a couple of years ago. Uh, but he still kind of showed some good in, intuition and aggressiveness. Uh, and again, uh, he, he may have uh, was close to getting in a fight here. Uh, he obviously drew a yellow card at one point. Uh, so there were some negatives here, uh, but I, I still thought he was uh, at a pretty solid game. And if he didn't have a yellow, I, I would have expected him to go 90. Yeah, I mean, I think Matt Bolster's definitely, um, he's definitely been a, a stellar uh, performer and player that's really been a landmark currently in this revolution midfield. And I agree, I don't think he gets subbed if he gets that yellow card. If he does not get that yellow card. That yellow card is the whole reason he got subbed. If, uh, Like I said earlier, I was surprised he actually played 85 minutes. I thought he was going to get sent off. I really did. You, he lost his head very early on. And that first altercation, um, I thought that he was going to get sent off there. From my angle, it looked like there was a scrap that was definitely started because of him. Yeah, it could, it could have gotten really ugly really quickly, but I'm, I'm pleased with Polster. Jose says, Duan has been both amazing and a little disappointing this year, and I couldn't be happier uh, about both uh, outcomes. This is coming from his biggest super fan. Happy he's in MLS purgatory. Really can't see him being sold to Belgium this year. He's done so much good, but no final product. We kind of talked about this a little bit last year, where Duan is kind of in an odd situation where he's very good for MLS, but is the transfer fee going to be attractive enough for the revolution to sell him? And I also think that's magnified by the fact that there's really no one behind him that, that can fit in that role. You know, right now you have Ben Sweat and Christian McCoon as your backup left backs. Maybe long term, I know that there is a um, uh, Caleb Peyton Miller. That's his name, correct? Correct. And he's stellar. He's yeah, he's in the, the national team um, youth setup. 
I've heard a lot of really great things about him. I believe he's already playing for Revs 2. He's made a couple appearances for Revs 2. I believe he's the youngest player to ever play for Revs 2. Correct. So maybe long-term, that is the Dewan replacement, but he's certainly a, a little bit away from, from starting up uh, for the first team. I believe he's 15 or 16. So, you know, Dewan is in a weird spot where he is in purgatory. I don't think the Revs have much incentive to sell him. I don't think the fee is going to be high enough to get him. I don't think he's going to be um, called up to the national team for whatever reason. I think his age is is kind of going against him at this stage. So I agree. I think he's in MLS purgatory, and I think he's going to be a long-time revolution player, which is good, uh, good for us fans. Um, but I, I certainly think it's it's not good for Dwan, and I'm sure if he has interest in playing in Europe, I think he has to wait for this contract to end. Yeah, I know Dewan was gaining interest from, I believe, teams in Netherlands, Belgium, and I believe Germany as well. Um, he is a caliber player. He's definitely shown uh, good good and bad moments. Uh, during the match, uh, fans actually asked me who number 24 was. And I was like, ah, it's Dewan Jones. And they're like, well, it's clearly adamant that the ball moves through him and your MVP, and it's quite clear that this guy's playing left back, but he should not be playing left back. Why is he not playing on the wing? And I kind of laughed at that um, because Dewan Jones's parents were actually sitting within five feet of me. Um, and they even discussed that Dewan used to be a winger. Uh, he was drafted as a winger um, in the same draft class as Tejon. So it's kind of funny to see that, uh, being taught, discussed by the opposing fans while away. And uh, I, I do think Dewan will go to Europe. When? I'm not sure. Uh, will he get a call up to the national team? No. There's way too many There's way too many depth pieces in front of him. Um, I, I think he'll get those quote-unquote cupcake camps where they call him up to – just be there. It's not going to be like a full team camp with Pulisic and Adams and McKinney and all the regular guys. Um, but he's shown some really good progress. And obviously I, uh, I do agree that uh, Miller will replace him. Peyton Miller will replace him. I think he's the next player to be signed to the first team from the Academy. I think that is the next player that will get signed uh, at 15 years old. And like I think it's like 240 days to make a Reds two debut. He started every game for Reds two, bare I believe one. Uh, that kid's the real deal, and I think that he uh, he will be the next guy to jump uh, from Reds two to the first team. Mm-hmm. And Noel Buck, I believe, was signed at 16 too. So um, and Esmer too, I believe, was 16 years old um, when he signed. So uh, something to look for in the off season if a couple of supplemental roster spots open up, which I expect them to do. But back to Dewan Jones, he's turning 26 next month and is currently on a three-year contract uh, through 2024 with a 2025 team option. So if the Revs want to just hold him uh, through 2025, so another two and a half years, so he could maybe test Europe at age 28. Um, but you know, at that point, especially when speed is one of your main components, um, you know, at a high level over in Europe, 
I'm not sure he's going to be getting the same looks. He certainly will probably have some suitors, uh, but you know we're we're not talking Premier League or anything like that. I, I think that kind of ship has sailed for him, uh, which which is probably a little bit unfortunate. But maybe he finds a home in Belgium or the Netherlands or, or something like that. Um, I, I'm sure he can certainly pursue that. But at that point, maybe he wants to just stay in New England. Uh, so we'll, exactly. we'll see. There's there's a ways to go until uh, we have to worry about Dewan Jones' contract. But uh, and then we'll end with Young Men Bones. Uh, he he keeps it real simple. He just says. I'm sad. Uh, but uh, you know what? Revs are still in first place. Certainly things can be a lot worse. Not a great week getting knocked out of the U.S. Open Cup and having their unbeaten streak end. But um, things could be worse for the Revs. And hopefully these red flags that are popping up, uh, they, they kind of go down uh, over the next week. And next week, they're going to Philadelphia. Uh, this is our rivalry game. Uh, this is the rivalry weeks game, I guess, for the Revolution. <laughs> Um, certainly I don't, I don't think Miami is our rival. Uh, I hope not. I'm not very upset about losing to Miami, but I would be upset losing to Philadelphia. So hopefully, uh, they can bounce back next week. Oh, we did have one question here. Sorry. I missed it. I missed it. I missed it. Um, uh, Paulo did say what changes come next week after this. I don't think they have any changes to be honest with you. I think they roll out the same lineup. Maybe you see Vrioni up top for wood. Uh, but I think after that performance from Vrioni one touch, uh, I think Bruce might still have some questions. I think the Philadelphia game, um, is not exactly a game you want to shuffle up too much, uh, real quick. Keep it 10 seconds or less. Any changes you see coming, uh, Caleb? Uh, I think Latif Blasting does not start, and Damian Rivera starts. I think Damian Rivera slides directly into the lineup after scoring a hat-trick for Reds, too. Any final thoughts here, Caleb, before we wrap up today? Reds are still in first uh, currently, even though a couple teams haven't played yet. Uh, I will be in Philly next week as well, so I'm assuming and hoping that we will get the three points. And we have a lot of time. Again, we're seven three and two. We're one of the only teams that doesn't have more than four losses at this point in the league. So uh, there's a lot to look forward to. Be happy and uh, go Revs. Go Revs. Uh, Caleb, where can people follow you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at uh, Caleb Pongratz ten. That's C A L E B P O N G R A T Z ten. Uh, you will find all my articles on uh, pro soccer. That's at Prost America. Uh, all my articles uh, covering the Revs, as well as feature stories on uh, retired players. I've done one on Jimmy Conrad, one on AJ De La Garza, and I've also done a feature story on Reds 2 player Pierre Cayette, who's currently playing uh, for them as well. So uh, you're going to see a lot of content through me. I'm going to keep live tweeting games as well as uh, reporting of the Revs. So should be a follow. And you can follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap. Be sure to follow our Revolution Recap Instagram and Facebook pages. Be sure to follow our friends at the Blazing Musket on Twitter at Blazing Musket and follow their work on uh, the Bla- uh, the Blazing Musket Substack uh, for year-round coverage and go subscribe right now. You can subscribe for free or a paid subscription. And either way, you get all of the Revs news in your email inbox. You don't need to go search for it on Twitter. You don't need to go search for it on Instagram or Facebook. You get everything, every article sent to your email inbox. Also, be sure to follow our friends at The Rebellion on Twitter and go to anyrebellion.org to learn more about them and how you can become a member and also check out our sponsor Galasso Kits and be sure to use promo code REVSRECAP to save 15% off your order at GalassoKits.com. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you if you have subscribed. Uh, make sure, well, sorry, make sure you're subscribed on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you rate and review us five stars. We're just about to touch 60 reviews on Spotify. So if you haven't reviewed us on Spotify, go get us to 60. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, helps people looking for revolution content find us uh, and we always appreciate 
good reviews. Always appreciate it. So we will be back next week following the Philadelphia Union game. Hopefully we're talking about a Rev. Hopefully we're talking about a Rev's win. Hopefully we're not talking about refereeing. I'm tired of talking about refereeing. Uh, so hopefully we have a better episode next week. But until then, thank you everyone for listening and go Revs.